us. Also remind you about our shells for the uh, Wichita ICT to feed the hungry and also our wonderful treehouse ministries. We collect the coins. And so Tom can buy, if you see the assortment of wonderful diapers um, here that we can uh, give to people who are struggling and little families. And then also too, if uh, you have not joined our church officially, uh, there's a way you can do it and uh, would help us uh, say to the Reformed Church, our previous denomination, we're a very viable church. And there's a, a website, you can get on our website and watch the presentation I made. And, or you could just see me personally and talk a little bit about it um, so that we can officially put you on the board rolls and it make us look better uh, to them. Also on December 27th, on Wednesday from 9 till 3, uh, we will have the blood drive. And if you want to sign up early, you could on, get on redcrossblood.org and Harvest CC is the sign up. Or you can call Gabby and she'll take you down and give you a scheduled appointment. And also we have the schedules for the 24 year to pick up so you can read the Bible in the year or the New Testament. And then just a reminder, the candlelight service will be next Sunday morning. We're having one service on Christmas Eve and it'll be at 10 a.m. We'll be candlelight and we'll have a uh, also communion. And then on New Year's Day, we'll also be at 10 a.m. So remember, remind yourself of those. And then if you'd like a point set in honor of somebody or in memory of somebody, they're $8 a piece and please take them home next week after the service. One thing I've asked from the Lord, and that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Psalm 27, 4. Let's stand together. No, not stand together. Wait a minute. Deb and Dick, would you come forward and share with us the lighting of the candle? Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. And the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I will place on his shoulders the key to the house of David. When he opens, no one can shut, and when he shuts, no one can open. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty. Wonderful, Wonderful counsel, counsel and magnificent, magnificent wisdom. Thank you, folks. continue in our worship let us stand as we sing hark the herald angels sing Yeah. 
morning. Please, please join me in this morning's prayer confession. God, in this time of celebration of your birth, we confess it is so easy to lose sight of the purpose of Christmas. We admit it is easy to get caught up in buying the right gifts for others and shopping that we easily lose sight of finances and forget you. There are times when the festivities and parties that time for you can be less and less. God, help us this Christmas make this more about you and less about us. Teach us as we celebrate and renew time together that your coming is a preeminent part of the holidays, that the joy and awe experienced by those first celebrators can be ours. Give us a fresh vista of your grace that will be greater faith and hope in you in this world. All this we pray in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our hope of forgiveness this morning comes from John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Guidelines for living this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the, ones, the one who does the will of God will live forever. Continue on our worship as we sing Angels from the Realms of Glory. Let's stand together. of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Steve, did you want to is actually an English carol from the 18th century. No author or composer is listed for this carol. The lyrics begin with a greeting to us to let nothing get us down because Christ has been born. The story then follows Luke's two, Luke 2.8 Luke with the angels appearing to the shepherds. The song reminds us that our Savior has been born of a pure virgin to free us from Satan's power and then tells us to sing praises to the Lord. giving yourself to us in love, but also the wonderful blessings we have in this life. Lord, thank you for this time, and bless these folks as they give them out of their hearts of love and joy for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior, Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we have gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. 
Let's come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a great opportunity it is this this morning to be able to be in your presence with these folks and to bear our souls to you and to speak to you as a child to a father. And we come to you, God, and you know what's going on in our hearts and in our lives and what we need. And yet, Lord, you want us to bring them to you and to share with you what's on our hearts for us and for you. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for this great country. We thank you for the many blessings that we have and the way we can celebrate the Christmas story and not be hampered and not be stopped. We thank you, God, that we have the privilege to sing and shout the praises to you this morning in this building and throughout the world and whenever we go or wherever we go, we can sing your praises. We give you thanks for that, Lord, and we pray that you'll give our wisdom to our, the men and women who lead our country. We pray, Lord, that you'll give them the added measure of wisdom, especially many of the things that are going on, some of which we have no even clue of. We pray also to Heavenly Father for the men and women who bravely protect us. We thank you for the ones that gave their lives in the past so we can worship freely. But also now, Lord, as we sit in this room, that we have police and firemen and EMS around us. We thank you for also police and sheriff. And also, Lord, we thank you for the military as they have put their lives online every day to keep us free. And today, Heavenly Father, we pray for our church, too, as we begin a new adventure entering into the new year. I pray especially for those that we have that are shut in, Lucille and Joyce and Karen. I pray, Lord, for them. Just give them strength and, and give them uh, the, the, the love of Christ that we know and that uh, they hear from us and, and they see that we're behind them every step of the way. We pray also to Father God for Howard and Betty both have had chunks of their skin taken off with the cancer that was on them. We pray for healing. We pray that the doctors have gotten all of it out so they don't have to go back. We pray also for Joyce's back. I pray for Steve's mom, Gwen. We pray also for Janet's neighbor. I pray also for my friend Brad and the struggles that he's going with. Just bring healing to him. We pray also too, Lord, for Nick and for his uh, future surgeries that he's going to get next month. We just pray that healing will come and relief will come to his body. We pray also too for Mr. Mack as he is battling his cancer. I pray also for Jason and Samantha. And uh, Lord, we just pray also for Everett. All these and, and Floyd that are battling cancer that we know, give them the strength to overcome and bring healing to them. I pray also too for those that are struggling under the alcoholism grip. We think of Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Russell. You know what's going on in their hearts. I pray also, too, Lord, for those who lost loved ones this year, uh, especially at this time of year. It can be a tough time. Just watch over them, comfort their heart, give them strength that they need, Lord Jesus. And now, Father God, we lift up ourselves now as we hear from your word. Speak to us, Lord. We want to hear from you today. We want to be encouraged. We want to be challenged. In Jesus' name. Amen. No other leader in all of the world has ever been greater than this baby that was born in Bethlehem. He divided history with B.C. and A.D. He touches so many fields of life. In fact, all of it. We know the legacy he has left with human rights, for women's rights, for education, Attitudes towards children, humility, forgiveness. We know Jesus 2,000 years ago when he came with his transforming power impacted history greatly. History tells us that right at his birth, he changed society and began to start a widespread religion throughout all the world of Christianity after his name. Jesus promoted mercy and compassion. And we now are basically blessed by that as all the numerous hospitals and charities and education universities 
Florence Nightingale herself, founder of the modern patient care movement, was very influenced by Jesus' teaching. And Jesus even touched the untouchable, the lepers, and healed them, which modern hospitals follow his pattern. The second major impact that he had, though, was his character. The development of mankind in the Renaissance. A lot of people don't think about Jesus in the Renaissance, but because European culture began to develop an education and understanding thing, this is what Christianity is all about. It's understanding the way God works in His world and how He works with people and in stuff. We also know that the desire for knowledge came from the Christian movement. Universities like Cambridge and Oxford came about. And biblical principles were used to train and teach pastors. We also know the impact of Jesus' message on the Western world. Civil codes, moral codes, criminal procedures, the Ten Commandments, all have their bases from the scriptures that Jesus preached and talked about. And how he talked about blaspheme and how he talked about talking behind one another's back and false saying. All these have credence in our criminal justice system. And how he promoted to help the socially disadvantaged. We have a hard time today thinking about it, but women were very disadvantaged. And so were children and the poor. They were cheated like cattle and some like even chattel, they say. Children can be thrown in slaves and, and can also be sold as slaves. O.M. Bakey, who was a theologian from Norway, in his book, When Children Became People, The Birth of the Childhood in Early Christianity, he believes that's when children could finally be normally seen as people. And we also know historically Christ made some tremendous impact with men like William Wilberforce, who was a wealthy guy but was a Christian and with his convictions in the 19th century pushed for the abolition of slavery in England. His friend Lord Shazbury worked at reform in civil lives because people were living on the streets and they were wild, the cursing and the hurting of people. He worked to also improve working conditions. And fourth, of course, is peers. How he practiced humility and forgiveness. All this came through Jesus. When the intellectuals like Cicero in those days prided themselves in pride and looking better than other people. And of course, the historical reality of Jesus Christ can never be doubted. Him coming to this earth made a tremendous impact, and especially on Western culture. But you know how easy it is to overlook it. Today we're going to look at how people look at this Christ. And in our narrative today, there's three groups of people. And we see those same groups of people in our day and age. On how they look at Jesus. First we wonder about the incredible zeal of the Magi. These foreigners. These Easterners. Who are looking for the king of the Jews. Foreigners. And here they are invited by God. To search for Jesus. How is that possible? The second group. Of course the Jews. Here they are, right under their noses. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, six miles south of Jerusalem. And they don't get it. And they're apathetic. And here they are, the insiders, and they don't even see it. And then there's the third group. That irrational, jealous king named Herod. Who had such a hatred. And created such an atrocity for little children because of his fear of losing his power to this baby king. You see, Christmas is a wonderful time and we all know that. It's a fun time, festivals, times that we can celebrate with family. But we know that there are three types of people. There are those who are zealous for Christ, 
There are those who are apathetic, that are insiders. And that we also know that there are people who are threatened by his power. And this morning we're going to look at first the zealous. Those were the magi. And as we read the scriptures, it said, And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and saying, Where is he is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then later on in the text, of course, we see, And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which I had seen in the east, and went before them and, until it came, and they stood over the place where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, and they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever wondered why the Magi showed up? You think it was because of the star that appeared hundreds of thousands of miles away from it? No, it wasn't. That star only appeared later on when they got to Jerusalem. And there's many legends about them too, folks. In fact, there's a legend about the wise men, and remember we sing even a hymn called We the Three Wise Men. And yet, that's not true. When they showed up, they had an entourage, a whole bunch of people. And of course, they were given names of Caspar, Melchior, and Belshazzar. But they came to adore this king. And there's a cathedral in Cologne that's made out for these of the wise men. But what they were is they were wisdom men of their day. They were special Persian men who were intellectuals, who studied everything. And some people believe they were Zoroastrian in their beliefs, but it's much further than that. They were priests, but they also were intellectuals who studied about the society that they lived in. They were educated scholars in medicine, history, religion, prophecy, astronomy, astrology, all these things. And astronomy, of course, is the study of the stars, and astrology is the study of how they implement into our world and we can get our destiny out of them. And these magi were highly influential in Persia. And the historian Herodias tells us the Persians had discovered the nature and work of medicine. John MacArthur says because the combined knowledge of science, architecture, agriculture, mathematics, history, and astrology, they became the most prominent and powerful group of advisors for the Medo-Persian and subsequently the Babylonian Empire. They spent their time and energy just studying this stuff. But that brings us to the point. How did they know to come to Bethlehem at this time? What was it they were studying? Well, the Bible shows us. You look at Daniel chapter 9. All throughout the book of Daniel, he speaks about these magi, these wise people. And they were studiers. And here, in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel gives the vision to Daniel. And this vision is about the king that's going to be born. And that he's going to, at some time, die. And Gabriel is the one who gave Mary, 500 years later, this message that Jesus was going to be born and out of her womb. And that we see here that God had orchestrated through Daniel by Gabriel to give him that prophecies. And these guys were studying it. And they realized it was the time... And so what do they do? They go find this Messiah during the Persian Empire. They had already heard it. But now here, in the first century, 483 years exactly to what Daniel said and what he wrote, they show up in Jerusalem. And here they are looking for the one who's born king of the Jews. Most scholars are blown away by this prophecy. 
Ray Stedman said it is interesting to note that in the 17th century, a very well-learned Jew published a book that set forth the claims that Jesus Christ was to be the Messiah. Perhaps the book he told of himself being converted to Christianity because of a situation that he was in as a moderator between a Jewish scholar and a Christian scholar. And they were discussing Daniel chapter 9. And the moderator led the debate. His name was Simon Lorenzo. And he, the Christian pressed the claims that Daniel 9 was to be interpreted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem at that time. And it got so intense that the rabbi closed the debate. And he said in closing, he said, let's stop and shut the books. For if we go on examining this prophecy, we will all become Christians. He knew that this stuff was talking about Jesus. And he didn't want to go further. But he found himself giving himself to Christ. And accepting that prophecy. And then also in this passage, we have people who had the prophecy also in Micah chapter 2, where the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And these are the Jews that are sitting there with Herod in Jerusalem. And they knew that Jesus was to be born. They didn't believe it because they would have gone down to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was only six miles south of Jerusalem. And here they are. Jesus is born there. And these guys are looking for the king of the Jews. And they're not buying into it. And, and they give him, well, this is where he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so the scribes and Pharisees are heard telling them that they're down in Bethlehem. And so they're going to go. Now, isn't it funny that these guys that were so close didn't go? And of course, the Magi go down there and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby in a house. Now, you and I know that Hallmark has these beautiful, lovely cards that we have sent to us that have Jesus, Mary and Joseph in the stable. And the Magi show up there, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that they showed up at their house. They were already established in a house. Way after Jesus was born. And that the special sign was going to be this miraculous star. That was going to lead them. And the three wise men go down to see Jesus. And Herod doesn't want to see him. But they want to go and see Jesus. They're so excited about him. They're so excited. And, and they realize who they're going to see. Because if you notice, they're going to give him gold, frankincense. And gold is for a king of royalty. Frankincense is, is, is for the deity. And myrrh is for the death. Here it's already pro professing to us who Jesus was and what's going to happen to him. All through those little gifts that these guys bring. And Herod... wants to find out too but you see he doesn't go down to Bethlehem and Herod was wicked Herod was a very hateful man and he was a very jealous man that's why he got so threatened by this baby who was called king of the Jews because you see any threat that he had he killed in fact Herod that he wouldn't even let his family members who were a threat he'd kill them he killed his own brothers. He killed his own kids. He ruthlessly murdered one of his, a couple of his wives, two brothers. And because he suspected them of treason. He had been married nine times. To strengthen his political ties. That's how threatened he was. And how he continued to want the power. But couldn't get it. And here we are. With these magi coming from the east who find out that he's born in Bethlehem. And they show up. They're excited about him. This is the way we should be about this virgin birth stuff. You know, there are people who will make fun of you. 
I remember when I was in high school, and in, in, uh, I went to a Jewish high school that was 75% Jews. And I'll never forget, we decided as seniors we were going to witness to our friends in the lobby at the school, and I did. And I remember after football crack practice, this guy by the name of Hal made fun of me. He said, you actually believe in a virgin birth? Are you kidding me? Jesus was a bastard. He was born and inseminated by a Roman who had sex with his mother. Now, I wanted to go over and punch him. <laughs> but I held my cool. I know this is a soul that needs to be saved. And we got into a heated argument. We talked about it and then we worked it out. Well, that was in the fall. Our senior year. In the football locker room. And I remember when we were graduating. <laughs> he kind of forgot what he was doing. And he, in my yearbook, he wrote over my picture rather than his. But what he wrote was a treasure. And I think God maybe had that happen so that I would see what he did. Because he said, I don't know what you've got. But you've got something that I don't have and I need. Well, two years later, I come home from college. And I get a Christmas card it's from Hal. And I open it up and it says, I found Jesus as my Messiah. Christ has come into my life. And I called him up. Sad part of the story is when his father found out, his father had a funeral service for him. Wrote him out of the will. And then within the next year, he had an older brother who came to know Christ. And they were both left out of the will and his sister got everything. But he said, I don't care. I've got Jesus. Today he works in California and he has his own recording studio and makes Christian music. But what zeal he had when he finally came to know Christ... See, this is such a wonderful story, and we should have that zeal. We should not back down when people mock us about it, because we have the evidence before us that Jesus truly who he said he was, and what he did. And we see the evidence through history. And how do these guys come to discover him at this time when he's born? It's because they read the book. They had the prophecy, and they followed it. And here they discovered Jesus, who the Jews knew, and they didn't accept. But you see, the Jews were another, oh, the Jews were another problem, because they were apathetic. They're apathetic insiders. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the priests, chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, and thus it is written by the prophet, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come the ruler who is, will shepherd my people. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them the time the star appeared. These outsiders were looking. And here the people that were six miles from them were apathetic. They even knew where he was going to be born. And yet they didn't understand it. They were comfortable with their lives. They didn't want this Jesus coming in. They knew Herod's temper. They knew the problems that they would have with him. They don't want to be hanging around and have this Jesus disrupt their lives. And notice what it says to them. He was troubled, but all the Jerusalem was with him. They don't want their lives disturbed. They don't want it stopped. The whole city of Jerusalem was thinking in these terms. And you see, Jesus... What we have here is the Magi is traveling through here with this group of people. They weren't looking for Herod. Herod was looking for them because he heard and he saw this big entourage come through. They were upset. 
And so what they did is they talked to the people and the people were talking to Herod because Herod was hearing about this baby who was born king. But their apathy was hard to comprehend. We can understand Herod being angry because he was threatened by being a king. But how could they not see this? How many times do we see it with people who grew up in the church today who don't see it? They don't see Jesus. They drop out of the church. They're into their own lives because it's too comfortable. Who wants to go to church? Deal with people. Deal with my issues inside of me, my feelings, what I really believe. Yet they had all the knowledge in the world. They knew that Jesus was going to be born of a seed of woman. They knew that it was Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. This was all part of their knowledge. That he was going to be born of a virgin and born in Bethlehem. They knew it all. But they missed it. They didn't see it. Even though they had it in their word. We see it all throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament. One of the saddest things I watch, and I've known friends who have died. I went back to my reunion, and some of the people that I used to hang with are all gone now. And I wonder where they are if they know, knew Christ and came to know Jesus as their Messiah. You look at the wailing wall in Jerusalem and how they bow before that wall, and they're praying and praying. They're putting their prayers into the wall, and they're praying and praying and praying. And they're not seeing the one who came to them. 2,000 years ago and died for them. You see what happens? Sometimes knowledge can make a person intellectually lazy. It can puff us up and thinks that we know everything. Paul said it to Timothy, ever learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. There's a lot of people who know a lot about Christianity. But they're not saved. Kids that came through Sunday schools. And learned about Christ. And you got to college and forgot Jesus. Billy Graham one time talked about one of the sadnesses in his life. A good friend of his by the name of William Templeton. In fact, they said that he was a much better preacher than Billy Graham would have ever guessed to be. But the tragedy of William Templeton, he stopped believing. He stopped holding to the Christian faith. He quit. He wanted to live for himself. And Billy prayed for him and spoke with him and tried. And yet this man continued to reject the gospel. His knowledge had turned him away. And also sometimes became, people become religious. And you know what religion is. Is men working to try to please God. And make themselves satisfied in themselves. That they're pleasing God. When they're not. Every religion in the world is like that. That it's your effort to satisfy God that's going to get you to heaven. And that's not the way we're saved. It came through the sacrifice of this one that came. But you see, it satisfies our egos. So people who become religions become spiritually indifferent to what they need to understand. Which is about what Christ has done for them. And accept him. Rather, it's easier to play with the rules. So you can feel like you're making the mark. It helps your ego. There are people who know a lot about religion. I remember this guy worked at Chicago Pneumatic, which was this place that they had air guns that they get truck tires off of. They're used power by air and they get those off. And we were, I was at this company that made them and we were fixing ones that came in. And this one guy who we were with, his name was Bill Slycor, and he was an interesting guy because he knew more scripture than I'd ever imagined I ever will. He could quote the whole, uh, whole book of Isaiah. 
because he had a grandmother who was raised in the South and his grandmother would teach him all during his young years. But he never came to Christ. In fact, the reason why he was working with me is because I was home on, from school and I was trying to pick up a few extra bucks on one of these uh, day labor things. And he worked that all the time. Whether he wanted to work, he would. If he didn't, he didn't. But as long as he had enough money to drink. And we talked about it. And I said, yeah, I know about Christ. I, I, I gave my life a couple times at those tent meetings and stuff. But it didn't change me. I don't need it. <laughs> How tragic. But you see, religion made him spiritually indifferent. And then there's some people who become culturally arrogant. This is the Jews. They thought they had the block on the market. They thought they had it all measured out. They were good religious people. They pushed all the right buttons. They were from the seed of Abraham. They were the right stock. But as we know, that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't save you. Paul even says that. We see that as Christians. Some say, well, I was raised in a Baptist, or I was raised in a Presbyterian, I was raised... That's fine. Where's Jesus in your heart? And folks, I want you to encourage you, if you've got people in your family that you're celebrating with this holiday season, help them to see. It's the spiritual life with Jesus that's important. And their relationship... Because a lot of people that walk around this world, they think they're all good people and they're all going to heaven. But they're not. We saw it in the movie with Kelsey Grammer. And we saw that whole revival of Maranatha in Southern California. And, and all that took place with Chuck Smith as Kelsey played Chuck Smith. And we see the conversion of hippies and whatnot. And the church people didn't want those people. They were weird. Didn't do the things they liked to do. Because they were bidding on their religion rather than their faith. John Calvin spoke about this. And he said, it's a sluggishness of the spirit. When we have our sluggishness in our hearts to Jesus... We're in trouble. Because we can easily fall into ingratitude. We can easily fall into a spiritual bondage. And that we become ungrateful, sluggish, indifferent, even fearing. This is what happened to these people. Six miles from them, you would think somebody would want to take those magi and guide them down into Bethlehem to see who they're going to see. And they didn't have it. How easy it is for people to get that way. How many times have you seen it? Where friends who are so close and they could get to it and yet... They don't want it because they want to live their life the way they wanted to and not be bothered by Jesus. They've had the basic information. They had Jesus. And you see, it's, it's possible to know a lot. But you miss the most significant part. Sometimes we need to look at ourselves. And ask ourselves, how am I doing with Jesus? Are there moments that I have hatred, lonely, rage, despair, ruin? Am I looking to Jesus? C.S. Lewis says that. He said, but look to Christ. And you will find him, and when you find him, everything else is thrown in. Jesus stands at the end of the road here. And he speaks to us. And yet there are people who are going to be hostile to you. 
you can easily ignore them and try not to deal with them. But the more and more you live your life for Christ, you're going to find that there are people who are going to be hostile to you. I know in this government that we're living in America, there is hostility to Christianity. Why don't you why do we think that no longer do graduations have invocations and benedictions? Is it because we just want to save the time? No. It's because people don't want to be inconvenienced and school boards don't want to deal with somebody suing them because somebody may get up and pray and thank Jesus. And that might be offensive. I've been asked several times in certain situations not to pray in the name of Jesus. But I'm sorry, but that's my Lord and that's my God. And that's who I pray in. I know a friend of mine We had become friends over the years because I worked with drug programs with kids back east. And I remember my second to last year before I left New Jersey, I got a call from his office. He was the superintendent of schools. And the secretary said, Pastor Henyon, the superintendent really would like you to come and do the invocation at the graduation this year. And I checked my calendar and said, oh, I'd be delighted to hang up. Five minutes later, ring, ring, ring. Uh, uh, Pastor Henyon, um, I wanted to clarify something, but um, he wanted to know if you're going to pray in the name of Jesus. And I said, yeah. Oh. Um, we're going to have to backtrack on that. We're going to have to see if we can get somebody else. I can remember another situation where I was called into an office and my commander said to me, uh, I don't appreciate you praying in the name of Jesus. I said, I understand, but that's my God and my Lord. And... Um, I I don't want to be offensive to you and your religion, but why are you being offensive to me and mine? It's Jesus who I worship. And um, we parted with a handshake, and I'm still doing it. (laughs) I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but it is. And you see, there are people... In our society, you, you go around today and shopping. Some of you run have stores that you put music in the background, you know. Don't, uh, but there's some groups now that if you listen to the Christmas music during the holidays, it's upbeat. And now it's more and more, we're getting less and less silent night, less and less angels we have heard on high and more Jingle Bell Rock and all that other baloney. And Santa's coming to town to put people in the spirit of shopping, you know. But really, not too many songs about Christ. I mean, this is the sad part of our world today. How many people do you know that count themselves as Christians... But don't go to church. And that Christmas, Santa comes and gives all the kiddies and all the adults a lot of big presents. And Jesus is not even talked about. See, the world doesn't even understand how apathetic they are. And they're insiders. Some of them were raised in the Christian church. They heard about Jesus. But they don't signify him anymore. They ignore the truth. And that they don't want to be any part of it. It scares them off. I know 
there are people, though, that are also hostile to Jesus. I remember two years into my ministry in New Jersey. And it's interesting, you know, how God prepares you for things. Went to a high school, 75% were Jewish. And then when I went back on my first church, the community that we were living was high Jewish content. And I had these two young men that I was discipling who had um, both grown up in the church, didn't know much about Jesus, and um, played football on Sunday so they didn't come to church. But they wanted to meet me, and we sat down and talked, and they gave their lives to Christ. The one fellow in particular lived a wild, promiscuous life. He had a black van, and, but then he realized that's not what God wanted him to do anymore with his life. The other fellow was engaged to a Jewish girl. And she gave her life to Christ after he did. Now, her father, stepfather, owned a big furniture store in, in New Jersey. But he also was a cantor in their synagogue. And one night, you know, it's interesting because their lifestyle was so different than mine. You know, we all grew up probably sitting around the table, unless our dad was an emergency worker or something, at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. Mom had dinner on the table. We prayed and thanked God for, for the meal. They never had that time together. Uh, she, at time, had just graduated high school, and he was graduated to this kid. And their sister, her sister was in uh, high school now. But when they ate, they would order in, and they wouldn't eat it on the table. They would just lay what was ordered from the Chinese restaurant, put it on the table. Everybody would grab theirs and go back to the room. That was family time. And what stunned me about this couple is the only time they sat down with either was at a restaurant with the, her mother and father or smoking a joint together. Because mom and dad wanted them to have good stuff that wasn't laced with stuff. And they would get it from a prominent baseball player in New York's wife, who was the dealer for their high rise that they lived in. <laughs> you know, I'm listening to this and I'm going, no way. And he's telling me this. This is what they did. Well, Tom came to know Christ and then she did. And I got a phone call one night. I was sitting on the couch and I thought my wife was going to run out the door. <laughs> this father is screaming at me. He's calling me Constantine, taking people and making them admit they need to be a Christian or convert or I was going to kill them or I was Hitler. I mean, he called me everything under the sun. And his hostility and venom, I could just feel it coming through the phone. And I said, well, you know, if it's real for her, she, you know, you'll see. No, you did this. Well, we were on the phone and I said, well, we're, I just, we're, we're, we're at an impasse. I don't know what to tell you, but this is a decision that she made as a mature adult. Well, didn't hear from them. And then I saw them at a couple events when they had babies and they came for the baptism of a baby, one of their babies. And I'm like, oh boy, I hope this doesn't turn into a brawl. But then when we leave 12 years later, they have a party for me at this big restaurant. And guess who walks in? That mother and father. And after a while, they come up to me <laughs> and they say, Pastor Dave, we want to apologize to you for that phone call. And we want to thank you for the change that was in our daughter's life that has Christ, that this Christianity has brought to her. She used to be a selfish little kid. And we can see her really loving Tom and loving our kids, her kids, and is a different part, person. You see, 
this is hostility that Jesus can easily turn. I was delighted. You know, how many of you know some towns, it gets to be a battleground on where they can put the Christmas nativity scene. Because some towns say, no, no nativity scenes. And I went back to this town and one of my friends is a, uh, was, a, was a judge and the other one's a power of attorney. He said, you wouldn't believe what happened. He said, we had the big debate about that little Jesus, that little Jesus right there in the middle of the square. He said, but you wouldn't believe what happened. Instead of it becoming a debate, the Christians said they would help them build a menorah <laughs> in the middle of the town square. So they got this big menorah and they raised money for it. It looks like it could be hit by an atomic bomb and be standing and everything else would be flattened. And they had this creche that was this broken down little shack with the baby Jesus in it. And they realized they could share the space together. And you see, the, 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 the sad part about it, and that's what we want, Christians. But you see, that's being pushed out of our world. Because we want to be in the public square. We want to be there because we want to show them. We know that Jesus is far superior. And when you have people like this guy who's threatened, go search carefully for the child. And if you find him, bring me back word. We know why he wanted the word. And we're going to see that. That's why Mary and Joseph had word that they had to get out and go to Egypt. Because why? Because he wanted to kill Jesus. And at the end, at verse 12, it says, And divinely warned, the angel comes in a dream and says, Don't return to her. He's going to kill him. Go to another country. Because he was threatened. And let me tell you, there are people who are threatened by Jesus. Kids that I know that I knew, and I saw them grow up in Christianity who sang the great songs and everything and put Bible verses that right now have become nons. They put Jesus and they eliminate him off to the side. They're afraid of what he's going to ask for their life or they're afraid what they're going to do to their marriage or they're afraid that he's going to make them do something they don't want. But you see, Jesus wants to change us for the good. He loves us. He's here for the broken. And people don't understand that. And we need to tell them that, folks. I can remember a little gal by the name of Ellie. Very confused girl. Just had graduated high school and got a job. And just working in life and just... And I remember our second Christmas. We had our Christmas candlelight service at 5 o'clock that day. And Sandy and I had invited these young people who came from all kinds of lives off. And yet they found wholeness in Jesus Christ. And we invited them to come for a little hors d'oeuvres and a little food and stuff like that after at our church home. And I remember Sandy saying to me at one o'clock, are they going to go home? <laughs> I had a friend in the ministry had that problem too once in a while and he would go down in his pajamas and shut the thermostat down and walk back upstairs to go to bed. <laughs> but she said, did these, because we had Bible studies during the week and they didn't want to leave and she had to get up and get into New York by 7.30 in the morning. But anyway, it was Christmas Eve and... Um, the fireplace was burning and the kids were eating food and they were talking. And it was interesting how they were telling stories and they were praying for each other and weeping for their loved ones who didn't know Christ. And Ellie was one who came to know Christ. We had been witnessing out and about and we went to this coffee shop and she with her sister 
and two other girls were sitting there and we each witnessed to them and we shared with them the four spiritual laws, which is a little pamphlet about how to be saved. And they, some of them mocked us and made fun of us and we were talking to them about Jesus. And, and I'll never forget, we went, we left, or they left and then we left. And little did we know that she went back in to that coffee shop and grabbed one of those pamphlets. And she said, I went and sat in my car and read it. And see, she was coming out of a home. Her dad was an alcoholic. And he was abusive and he was a cop. But he had, should, probably should have retired 10 years earlier. And she had a brother who was a transvestite who went over to New York City and he made a living by dancing in his transvestite outfits. And then she had a brother who had issues with his um, mental health and then his mom. And then she had a sister who was still part of life. And, but she prayed in that parking lot and asked Christ to come into her life. And you know what? The life-changing work of Jesus, what he did for her. And how she became our superintendent of Sunday school. She taught Sunday school. She got a job with Volvo. And she worked with them in, in all kinds of things. They, and she grew in her faith. And the tragedy for us was that she had to move because she was moving up in her company. And she moved down south and became a part of the corporate executive. And, but the love of Christ that changed her so radically... And tragically, you know, his, her family, her sister did finally come to know the Lord, but her brothers never did, and her mom never did, and neither did her dad. But um, she's so grateful for what God did for her in her life. Because, you see, she was broken. She was an outsider. And Jesus came into her and changed her. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being such an awesome God. We pray, Lord, for each one of us has loved ones who may know the words about faith, but may not know you. We have some friends and loved ones that are hostile to you, Jesus, and we know that. It's because they're afraid of you what you might demand of their lives. And Lord Jesus, I just pray for us that we can be like the Magi, excited, thrilled, seeking to know you more every day, and that people can see that in us. They can see the energy and love that we have that's just not part of us, but is of you. And that, Jesus, that you will open those hearts and that they'll accept you, Christ, and come to know you as their Lord and Savior so that we can share eternity with them and they can accept this beautiful, precious gift that you've given to our world. Thank you, Lord, for these brothers and sisters today. And now bless us as we go our way this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's please rise and stand. We'll have the benediction and we'll sing our closing song. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit work in you now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below.